Happy Halloween! Welcome to Killer. Hello again to those of you who are returning, and welcome to those of you discovering us for the first time. We're glad you're here with us and joining us for a special Halloween episode. I do want to say, if you are here for the first time, this is probably not the episode you want to start on. You probably want to go back and start on another case. Um, I would say case one, honestly, but hey, that's just me. Today I'm here with my co-host, He's the man who regularly colon cleanses using an ancient method of eating at the Chinese buffet. Craig, what's going on, dude? <laughs> I don't know if we can top that intro, but hey, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one's a little bit inside baseball, but if you know us, that is a hilarious joke. But uh, yeah, Craig Craig has an affinity for the, the old Chinese buffet, especially where we used to work, and that place would just give you massive diarrhea. There's no way around it. Yeah. But being that it is Halloween, I think I've uh, reverted to the uh, Halloween candy versus the uh, Chinese buffet here lately. Kids go out trick-or-treating, get all that good <laughs> stuff, can't stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, I have some food allergy stuff, so I don't really get into the Halloween candy too much anymore. So, you know, that's okay, though. But speaking of which, what's the best Halloween candy? Oh, man, that's a tough choice. Hey, I'm going to have to go with the uh probably a lot of people's favorites i think reese cups are my all-time favorite i can't get enough of those oh dude i'm with you i'm with you 100 percent. i was hoping we we're gonna have an argument there but no yeah if there's if there's a reese cup anywhere i'm all up on it no i Delicious. eat reese cups so fast if i could if there's just a mountain of them there <laughs> i'm like chunk on the goonies i'm just shoving them in my mouth so fast <laughs> like my teeth are sticking together i can't even talk <laughs> There's something about that peanut butter and that chocolate combination. It's just, it's untouchable. Like, there's nothing better. I, my wife is like one of those like fruity flavored persons, you know, like the, like she would prefer like if you're going to get ice cream, she would get like the ice cream that's flavored with some kind of fruit. Not me. Put as much chocolate and peanut butter in it as you possibly can. Those Those two things are essential in my snacking ingredient experience. I don't know if is it the chocolate and peanut butter together or is it one or the other? Is it more the chocolatey thing or more the peanut butter thing? Because peanut butter is awesome on lots of other stuff, in my opinion. I would agree. I tend to put peanut butter on nearly everything I eat. I I've put it in eggs, I've put it in my oatmeal, toast, bagels, you know, the whole nine. Oh yeah. Waffles. Oh yeah. Slather it waffles oh, and some maple man. syrup on top. Making me hu- making me That's hungry now. <laughs> well, we did have to edit out a bunch of stomach raws last week. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna save that for another time, but I think uh, you guys will get a nice treat one day of all of the stomach growls that Craig has to edit out since we record at four thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, a nice three or four minute uh, opening trailer or nothing but a continuous stomach growl. Oh my goodness, dude. <laughs> You you clipped a few from last episode and sent them to me, and my wife thought it was like a a sound effect of like a monster or something. I said no, that was my stomach. <laughs> Grizzly bear. <laughs> it did, it did. So keeping with the Halloween spirit, what's your all time favorite horror movie? Um, I like a lot of them to be completely honest, but probably my all time favorite. And I always go back to the the Hellraiser series. I know, I know a lot of people don't like that because of how graphic it was. At that time, it was, for a horror movie, it was super, super graphic. And some of the scenes in that movie are just off the hook. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big Hellraiser fan. 
Yeah, I uh, I actually haven't watched Hellraiser in so long. I don't even really remember it. My mom used to always watch it, oddly. And uh, now you know how I ended up doing a true crime podcast. Um, so she really liked it and thought it was pretty good. I uh, I like it. I just I haven't seen it in so long. I just remember it being like really bizarre. Yeah, it's really creepy. I mean, probably one of the most memorable scenes to me is that part where the guy's he's in the room and all these fish hooks start coming out with chains and start attached to his face and just start slowly pulling him <laughs> apart. That that one scene right there always creeped the hell out of me. But I loved it. I watched it I don't know how many times. Oh, yeah. I need to go back and check it out. I think it's on some of the streaming platforms, actually. Well, I have to go with uh, the old classic Halloween. That was the first one I ever saw. I think that's why it stuck with me so much, because the series as a whole kind of blows. It's decent. The first two are really good, but after that, it kind of goes way downhill. Now, if I had to, if I had to say the first horror movie I ever watched, I, I don't remember actually what it was. It may have been Friday the 13th. I don't know. I mean, I saw some of the old black and white Dracula movies way back when, but I don't know if I consider those true horror movies. Those are almost, those almost have a romantic twist side to them. It's a little weird. Yeah, I actually just uh, splurged on iTunes and bought like $40 worth of scary movies because they were all on sale. And part of that was an eight pack of the classic monster movies. It was like, you know, 35 bucks for eight movies. I thought, fuck, dude, you can't beat that. So I bought it. It had, like, The Mummy, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. I just watched The Creature from the Black Lagoon for the first time. I'd never seen it. That yeah, was pretty decent. Good. Those are all good movies. All the originals are really good. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're a little hokey, especially for today's standards, but they're still fun to watch. And if you haven't watched any of, like, the classic, you know, horror movies like that, like, you need to go back and check them out because, they. I mean, they're not, like, amazing, like, masterpieces or anything like that, but they're just... That's where all the modern horror is rooted in. So if you're into horror movies at all, you know, you have to go back and check them out. All right. So now we've talked a little Halloween. And the last last little bit I wanted to mention was haunted house experiences. So not everyone's into the haunted houses because, I don't know, you guys are a bunch of wimps. But uh, do you have any interesting haunted house experiences growing up? Because I know I've had several. I... Yeah, I haven't frequented too many, as an adult anyways, because my wife refuses to go. I think she, <laughs> I think she's been quoted as saying, every time I go, I end up pissing my pants, and she's being literal in that sense. So, <laughs> um, uh, as a kid, I always enjoyed like being part of the, the haunted house, when we would have middle school haunted houses and stuff, and have people coming in and doing the just a walkthrough for the younger grades and stuff. I always like being a participant in the haunted house. That was always my coolest experience. I always wanted to do that, but I always, I never worked one because I figured I would never get to go to any haunted houses. And that was like one of my favorite things. I love going. Um, I haven't been in a couple of years actually since I had a kid, but I have two good haunted house experience stories. And one of which is we went to this haunted house in my area and, and where I lived at the time, and still close to where I live, it's fairly rural and like real quick. Like I live in a normal town, but then like you can get to the rural area real fast. Like within five minutes, you're out into the middle of cornfields. And uh, there was a haunted house out there, out that way. Like, and we had never been to it, and we're like, let's check it out. You know, it's five ten minutes from our house, so we head out there. 
We pull in, it's me, my wife, and her younger brother. We pull in the parking lot. We're the only car in the parking lot. And so we both, we all look at each other and her little brother's like, let's get out of here. I don't like this. And I'm like, no, let's go. Let's go. So we go inside and it's like this, I want to say it was like a kind of like a barn that you walk into. And so we go in and it's like four or five younger people in there just like kind of standing around. And one dude's just like walking around in this weird, like, pseudo clown mask and he walks up to my brother-in-law and he just hugs him and it was like what like you're not supposed to touch people with these things like you just don't do that especially at these unless you have a waiver and they didn't and so it's just like it's just strange off the rip right no one's there this dude's hugging on him so we go out into the haunted house right and um once we were walking around we were going outside and it's out in the woods and so we're walking through the woods and there's a guy sitting behind this huge like giant piece of aluminum or tin and he hits it or shoots it with something and it makes this huge loud echoey noise and it just scares the crap out of you it sounds like a giant gunshot so we all jump and you know we're looking around like okay that was a good one that was a good one and as we're walking next to us is this pond this dude full on dressed like the creature from the black lagoon comes out of the pond in october in the water in ohio which, mind you, it is probably 40 degrees tops outside. This dude comes out of the pond and starts chasing us. I've never been so scared in a haunted house in my life. I did not expect someone to be in the water. <laughs> it is frigid. Like, there's no way. I don't know how the hell that guy was in there. He scared the shit out of us, and we all took off running. <laughs> That's the only time I've ever been, like, legitimately scared at a haunted house. And then the other interesting story I had following that one was, and it always happens to my brother-in-law for some reason. We went to this haunted house up in Cleveland, and there was this dude, and he was like a kind of like an I don't know an Igor kind of guy, you know, like the hunchback, like you know whatever. And he's kind of doing like um, setting up a story for the haunted house, and he's carrying around this pet rat, and he sets the pet rat on my brother-in-law's head, and it was a boy rat. So the the boy rat essentially just tea bags him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like what do you do about that <laughs> so strange oh man so yeah anyway. what's worse in that situation just getting the, the tea bag from the rat or if the rat actually shit on his head oh my god oh that's what i was worried about like i don't know he just looks like he must need to be messed with or something because every time we go to one of those things they always pick on him oh my god your, your brother-in-law's gonna have ptsd from haunted houses no kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. That or skid marks. One <laughs> yeah. of the two. All right. Well, this week we're switching things up just a little bit because it is a bonus show. So um, if you enjoy our show, please feel free to give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We've had several. Uh, we've also had a lot of people reaching out to us on social media, including Instagram. And, you know, I want to say thanks to those people. We've had a lot of case suggestions. We had someone tell us that we are their second favorite true crime show next to True Crime Garage, which is an absolute honor in my opinion. I love True Crime Garage. They actually inspired me to start this podcast just listening to them. I really enjoyed what they were doing, and I thought, shit, I'd love to do the same thing. So here we are. And so uh, shout out to those dudes, Nick and the Captain. Those guys kick ass. So um, thank you guys so much. That I feel like they have one of the best produced podcasts for just two individuals doing their own thing out there. And uh, so that was an honor. Thank you very much for that. So if you will, Craig, you can lead us on our social media tour. All right. Yeah. 
Um, if you enjoy the show and want to leave us some feedback, don't forget to follow us on social media. Uh, we can be found at Twitter at killer underscore podcast on Instagram at killer podcast, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash killer podcast. You can also email us with any comments or feedback at killer podcast at gmail.com. And we also have a Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash killer podcast. All right. So rather than tell you too much about what's coming, let's just dive right in. You're listening to Killer, and this is the Halloween 2018 bonus show. Halloween night, 1963. As autumn kicks into full gear in the Midwest, the air is chilled, the leaves begin to turn colors, and slowly drop from the tree in which they hang, leaving the bare raw tree to stand on its own throughout the coming winter months. The unofficial midpoint of fall is Halloween. On Halloween night, children and their parents gather together in costume, marching down the streets from house to house as they collect as much candy from their neighbors as humanly possible, only to go home and enjoy the sugar rush afterwards. Halloween night is also the time when teenagers get together and watch scary movies, go trick-or-treating as a protest to growing up, playing pranks, or just enjoying the spooky atmosphere with their boyfriend or girlfriend. On Halloween night, 1963, a young teenage girl and her boyfriend were enjoying the company of each other until the boyfriend had to return home before curfew. His girlfriend went upstairs to get ready for bed. Her younger brother, in a fit of rage, brutally stabbed her to death. His clown costume covered in her blood, He descended down the stairs from the bedroom and out into the front yard, only to be discovered by his parents. The boy was taken to the local psychiatric hospital, where he was sentenced to serve the remainder of his youth locked up in the facility. As time went on, he didn't say a word to anyone. He didn't even talk with his doctor. He was due to have an update on his sentencing on October 30, 1978. As the hospital prepared to transport him for his hearing, he was able to escape releasing many of the inmates that were held there as well. As his doctor headed to the facility to see his transportation, he noticed several inmates wandering through the night. He immediately stopped his car and went out to assess the situation. While out of his car, the escaped inmate jumped inside and took off. As the inmates had been rounded up and placed back into custody, one was still on the loose. His doctor alerted authorities of the escape, but they couldn't locate him. A search began, but there were no signs. As night turned to day, the search continued. His doctor assumed he would head back to his house, so he took it upon himself to help authorities in the search. Coincidentally, authorities found the body of a mechanic working for Phelps Garage laying in a field along the route that they assumed he would take. The mechanic was strangled to death and stripped naked, but his truck was still there. So right now you have a guy who was in a fit of rage as a child. He went and stabbed his sister and kills her, and then he takes off and... No one can find him, but the only assumption is that he's headed back to his hometown, you know, but nobody knows for sure. And it, at this time in the in the 70s, again, we talk about this a lot, you know, 
like people seem to just kind of be nonchalant about this kind of stuff like ah, it's, it's no big deal and uh you know sure enough someone's already dead just a few hours into him being escaped right and just with what we uh described there in that intro why, why does it always this is this is my take on what we're reading and you know from other stories we'll probably cover in the future but why does a psychiatric hospital always get painted as something that's just completely totally like off the rip and totally crazy <laughs> like you expect to go to one and just see people walking around like mindless bumping into each other and it's just and i've never been to one <laughs> to be completely honest i don't know if that's the way it is but the movie certainly portray it as something as one thing but in real life i wonder if it's you know honestly that way right that's a good question because, yeah, I've never been to one either. And, you know, you do wonder, like, <clears throat> especially in the movies, you see people, like, they portray it like there's always crazy people, like, just constantly screaming and yelling. And, you know, the next guy next to him is, like, drooling all over himself. And, you know, they're holding their teddy bear and, you know, just weird, weird things, like, because it's kind of creepy. But I think to your point, the people there are probably somewhat more normal and it's probably a lot more mellow like nine times out of 10, I'm sure there's times where it gets a little crazy, but yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, that you're probably right. It, it probably is like a little bit more chill than, <laughs> than what is portrayed in the movies. Yeah, for sure. As the search continued, the small hometown of the escaped had yet to be alerted of the escape. Police were actively tied up investigating a break-in at a local hardware store. The only things that were stolen were rope, Halloween masks, and a couple knives. Typical stuff that the authorities were used to dealing with. Nobody was on high alert, so when the doctor arrived in town, he spoke directly to the sheriff, alerting him that the escaped patient, as he believed, was on his way to their town. The sheriff brushed off the doctor as being a little overzealous, but he reluctantly agreed to join the doctor on the search for the escape. The sheriff thought the doctor was being a bit over the top, but agreed to help him in the off chance that he was right. They began working together, and they headed to the escaped patient's old home. Once there, they found a dog that had been killed and presumably eaten. They felt they finally had a sign that he was definitely present. Earlier in the day, Lori, a high school girl and daughter of a realtor, had to stop by a house for her dad and drop a key under the mat. The escaped man was waiting inside the house, watching Lori as she dropped the key. Later on that day, Lori and her two friends headed home from school. Along their route home, they encountered some strange activity in the neighborhood. There was a car that appeared to be following them around. Suddenly, the car sped off when one of the girls yelled at the driver. The car slammed on its brakes, only to take off again shortly after. On their way home, one of the girls said the man appeared to have been hiding behind some bushes waiting to pop out as they came by. However, when they got to that point, no one was there. One of the girls reported later that she arrived home after school and she felt like someone was in her backyard watching her, but it happened so fast that maybe she was just seeing things. So, town's on alert, sheriff's alerted. Doctors raising some concern about this person. One body is found, um, that mechanic. And then you have the girls who feel like they're being watched. And some of the girls, more than others out of the three, feel like it's more than just a Halloween prank or people screwing around. Yeah, I think it's more than a Halloween prank when they... You said one body found, but actually two, because they found the dog that was killed and eaten. So... (laughs) True. I think that takes the prank to the whole new level. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, I mean, 
it's, you know, there's things going on here in the background, but it's kind of happening rather fast. So like the words not getting around as quickly as they probably would like. And again, it's the seventies. So, you know, it's not like people are texting each other and cell phones and all that stuff. And they're in constant communication. And plus it's Halloween. So, you know, people are, you know, they're busy, they're out running around and doing their own thing, getting ready for the events of the night. They're probably not paying that much of attention to the news if anything's out there yet. And, and I believe that, I don't know that it was noted in here, but the doctor doesn't really think that it's worth raising the suspicion to get everybody going and everybody crazy because he feels like it'll cause almost too much commotion and, and the noise will be too loud to filter it down to, to finding the guy. Right. And, and you brought up an interesting point. Word is not spreading too quickly. I think one thing that we, we talk about all these cases that we kind of glaze over is the fact that we look at the time period and, and look at the communications and the things that they have available to them at the time. Word can't spread fast during this time because you have three high school girls walking home from school. They yell at a guy, drives away quickly. What are they going to do? Now, if that was today, fast forward 2018, I guarantee you that these three girls, let's say they each have a thousand followers on Instagram. As soon as they have to yell at a car to get away because they feel like they're being creeped on, instantaneously 3,000 people know about it because they're on their phone taking pictures, posting it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get you get that thing on your cell phone in two seconds and everyone knows what's going on because everyone's too busy staring at their phone, you know? And and sure enough, you know, one of the three girls is probably recording something as they're walking down the street anyway. So, you know, it always seems like the camera's always out. Yep, taking that nighttime stroll home, doing their uh, TikTok music video. Catch the creeper in the car in the background, driving by, yell at him, takes off. As day turned to night, the kids began to ready themselves for trick-or-treating, and two of the three high school girls went to their babysitting jobs, and everybody was having a good time. Annie, one of the girls babysitting, her boyfriend Paul, wanted her to come pick up so he could come over and babysit with her. So she called up her other friend that also had to babysit a few houses over to see if she could watch her kid for a little while, and she went to go pick up Paul. She agreed, and so she dropped off her kid and stopped back at the babysitting job to grab a change of clothes. As she entered her car, she noticed a fog on the windows. She leaned forward to inspect the fog, when from the back seat a man popped up and grabbed her around her throat and strangled her until she could barely move, then slit her throat with a knife. Back at the other babysitters, Lori was still there babysitting the two kids, Lindsay and Tommy. Lori received a call from their third friend, Linda. Linda and her boyfriend, Bob, were out having a good time and were going to stop by where Annie was babysitting. Linda was calling Lori to see where Annie was because she wasn't at the house when they arrived. Upon the news that Annie was out getting Paul, Linda and Bob rushed upstairs to have sex. After the pair were done having sex, Bob went downstairs to go get some beer, while Linda stayed upstairs in one of the bedrooms waiting for him. While Bob is downstairs, he notices the backyard door is open. He looks around, thinking Annie or Linda are messing with him. He opens the door and out comes a man with a giant butcher knife. He grabs Bob by the throat and shoves him into a door on the other side of the room. The pair struggle momentarily until Bob is lifted up and stabbed so hard through the sternum that he sticks to the wall. The man appears upstairs standing in the doorway staring at Linda, wearing a sheet and Bob's glasses. Linda thinks Bob is playing tricks on her, as he won't speak or move when she talks to him. She tries flashing him to get his attention, and he still just stands there, staring. Linda decides she's going to call Lori. She picks up the phone and dials her. While the phone's ringing, 
The man in the ghost sheet walks toward her, grabs a telephone cord, and wraps it around Linda's throat, strangling her to death. On the other end of the line, Lori hears the entire struggle, but thinks that Annie is playing pranks on her. The, the, the man who escapes is obviously stalking these, you know, three high school girls, and, you know, he's already taken out, he's taken out two-thirds of them, and, you know, with the last one, you know, Lori's on the other end of the phone as he hears, as she hears her friend being strangled to death, and so she starts to kind of get, you know, a little bit concerned, like, what the heck's going on, like, this all these things that have happened to them all day long are kind of starting to mount and add up and it's getting a little bit strange. And it's weird that this guy is stalking just these three. So I wonder if it's one of those things where they have a little bit of history. Is it somebody who showed an interest in this three, this trio of girls that he was attracted to? Or I wonder what the story is there. If it's just somebody he randomly found walking home on the street and followed them and is, is truly just stalking them. It's around this time that the doctor is outside wandering through the neighborhood, still looking for his patient. He stumbles upon the car that was stolen from the day before. He continues his patrol for the escaped patient. Lori had put the kids to bed and decided to walk across the street to the house where Annie was babysitting to check in on things after that strange phone call. Lori tries the front door, but it's locked, so she walks around back and finds the same door that Bob saw open. It's unlocked, so she heads inside, but it's completely dark inside, no sign of anyone around. She heads upstairs to do a final check to see if anyone is home. She notices a bedroom door slightly ajar with a small bit of light emanating from the room. She pushes the door open, only to find Annie lying dead on the bed, with a headstone of Judith Myers symbolically placed at the top of her head. Bob and Linda's bodies both exposed in a closet near the bed. Lori retreats from the room, sobbing intensely. As Lori leaves the room, she stands near another bedroom. Lights are off, darkness surrounding Lori. She leans against a wall as she continues sobbing. Suddenly emerging from the dark room, a man reaches up into the air and thrusts a large butcher knife into her arm. Lori screams and tries to run, only to flip over a railing and onto the staircase below. The man heads down the hall a few feet and turns to chase her down the staircase. Lori miraculously escapes and heads for, a, heads for help at a neighboring house. As she screams for help, no one responds. The man is chasing after her, but still quite a distance away. Lori quick-wittedly heads for the Doyle house where she was babysitting. She wakes up Tommy by throwing a potted plant at the window where he was sleeping. She's screaming and yelling his name. He comes downstairs and lets her in before the man makes his way across the street. After they make it to the inside of the house, they turn off the lights and Lori instructs Tommy and Lindsay to go hide. Lori ducks down near a couch and notices the window is wide open. Suddenly, a man emerges from the other side of the couch wielding a large butcher knife. He stabs at Lori but misses narrowly, and Lori, holding on to a knitting needle, stabs him in the neck. The man lay incapacitated on the ground behind the couch. Lori finds his knife on the couch and takes a look at it, and in disgust of the blood on it, drops it on the floor. Lori headed upstairs to check on the kids and make sure they were okay. She was wounded, having been stabbed in the shoulder and her ankle badly hurt from the fall on the staircase. She gets the kids out and tells them that she killed the man that was trying to attack them when he suddenly appears behind her at the top of the stairs. The kids run off into another room to hide, and the, the man begins to chase Lori. Lori opens a door to an upstairs patio from the master bedroom, then runs into a closet on the other side to hide, hoping that he will think she jumped from the patio and escaped. The man checks the closet and notices it's locked. The closet doors are white, wood-slatted doors, and the man easily breaks them down with his hand. 
As he's halfway through punching the door open, Lori grabs a knife from him and stabs him in the head, knocking him down. Lori escapes the closet while the man is down on the floor. She drops a knife on her way out and goes and gets the kids. She tells them to go down the street to the neighbor's house and call the police. Lindsay and Tommy take off sprinting through the front door, screaming as loud as they can. The doctor hears the kids' screams and knows something is going on in that house. He rushes inside as fast as he can. Once the doctor is inside, he sees the man wearing blue coveralls, like a mechanic, a white, pale, emotionless mask with slicked back brown hair. The man has his hands wrapped around Lori's neck, strangling her. Dr. Loomis opens fire on the man, shooting him six times. With each blow, he takes a step backwards and falls off the balcony onto the ground below. Loomis checks on Lori to see if she's okay. He then proceeds over to the balcony, only to find the shape has disappeared. Thank you.